Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 72 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. As always, I'm your host. We've got a lot to get into today, kind of a longer show, but that's all right. Uh, so we'll start the show off the same way we do every week. That's by jumping into the breakdown. So first thing we'll talk about in the breakdown, big week of news for Major League Rugby, uh, kind of in every little aspect of it, it seems like. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and run in reverse order of the news. So on Wednesday night, uh, Seattle Seawolves announced that Shane Skinner has stepped down from the organization. So I'll go ahead and read you a series of these tweets. Seawolves founder and president Shane Skinner has decided to step down. Shane's passion, vision, and energy has been instrumental in creating one of the most successful uh, Major League Rugby teams to date. He remains a team owner and will continue to cheer alongside our fans at Starfire. This leadership transition creates an opportunity for the franchise to elevate several key staff members that have also been an integral part of the team's success. We thank you for your continued support and stay tuned for more exciting announcements. Please join us in thanking Shane for his dedication to the Seattle Seawolves and franchise success since day one. Uh, Shane's final letter to the fans can be found on the Seawolves website, so you can go ahead and read about that. That's huge news. I know Shane was a guy that really pushed the the Seawolves forward. Um, He's a big part of the reason that that they are as successful as they are, Um, and the league as a whole, to be quite honest. So um, interesting news, of course. Anytime you see something like that, it's, uh, it's a little shocking. Um, and the timing's quite interesting as well. So, uh, you know, best of luck to Shane and whatever he does next. And we'll obviously keep an eye on uh, who gets elevated. It sounds like it's going to be an internal thing based on those series of tweets. So we'll see what, what happens with all that. And that's kind of the first little bit of news uh, that dropped Wednesday night. As I said, the second big piece of news was on Tuesday, uh, right around lunchtime. Uh, Dallas Jackals announced that they're going to move their inaugural season to 2022. Um, which obviously, again, two months before the season, they announced that they're not going to play in the season. Creates a lot, a lot of issues, but I'll go ahead and read you their release. So Dallas Jackals move inaugural season to 2022. MLR expansioning te- expansion team positioning itself for proper debut and long-term success. The Dallas Jackals announced the club will not compete in the 2021 Major League Rugby season. The decision, which was made in coordination with Major League Rugby, is based on a number of factors that will provide the Dallas Jackals, an expansion team, the best opportunity to succeed in its inaugural season and into the future. A dispersal draft will be held in the near future for potential redistribution of Jackals players throughout the league for the 2021 season. Quote, This has been a challenging process, but we firmly believe this is the best decision for the long-term success of our team, said Jackals President Scott Sanju. uh, The pandemic has obviously had a far-reaching impact on many businesses. For an expansion sports team, it presents very specific challenges from properly cultivating community and business relationships to securing visas for international players. There are many challenges in a normal climate, let alone the unusual climate of this past year. We know the organization is going to be successful. We know Dallas-Fort Worth is an important market for the league, but we also know that you only get one chance to make a first impression. After consulting with our partners and MLR Commissioner George Killebrew, we have agreed introducing professional rugby to North Texas in 2022 is the right decision, end quote. The pandemic has forced businesses in many different industries, in particular entertainment, film, and sports, to move launch dates due to pandemic-affected business climate. Recently, Major League Soccer announced a similar delay 
and start for three of its expansion clubs. Major League Rugby, with teams in 12 North American cities, will kick off its fourth season on March 20th, 2021. The Jackals are bolstered by a base of enthusiastic rugby fans, affectionately known as the Pack, who have long advocated to bring the sport to Dallas-Fort Worth. Sanju has a message to Jackals fans, quote, To all our supporters, let me say we share your disappointment in this delay. Your belief in the Jackals inspires us, and trust me, we are determined to ensure the Jackals will enjoy lasting success. This is going to happen, and you'll be a big reason why. Stay tuned. Great things ahead. End quote. MLR Commissioner George Killebrew said he's worked closely with Jackals on this decision and supports their plan. Quote, We are in a great place as a league, both financially and with the product we are set to deliver when the 21 season kicks off in March. End quote, said Killebrew. Quote, Dallas-Fort Worth is a top-five television market and a region that is important for to MLR's long-term growth strategy. Scott Skonju has earned enormous respect with a proven track record running professional sports organizations. He believes in doing things right and setting up the Jackals for lasting success. This is a difficult decision, but one that's being done for prudent reasons and to serve the fan base, the team, and the league well in the long run, end quote. So that's the release. Sorry, I know that was a little bit long, but I want to make sure I read that for you. Uh you know, just reading that again, I've read it a couple of times, but the, the, you know, the thing that sticks out to me in this thing is, is when they're talking about securing visas for international players. Um, if you listen to the very first episode I had Mark Bullock on last year, should be right around February or March. I'll, I'll have to go look it up. Um, but he talked about the issue that they were having getting players over last year. Um, and that's only going to be, you know, 10 times harder with all this stuff going on. Uh, in the world right now. So I think that's an interesting point. That's I'm glad that somebody brought that out. That was something that has been a problem this last year as well. Um, if, you, if you're familiar with the Raptors, uh, Dig, Digby Ioni was supposed to come. He couldn't make it for, for similar reasons. It was it was a visa stuff. Um, that's an interesting thing, I think, in, in that, uh, you know, release right there. Um, I really feel for all the former Raptors that signed to play in Dallas. It stinks. They're just kind of left hanging with two months before the season's supposed to start. So, you know, they mentioned in that release that there is going to be another dispersal draft, but we're talking 60 days from Tuesday. So what are we at now? 58 days until uh, they're supposed to get rolling, start playing some matches. So I feel bad for all those guys. I know Dallas posted something on Twitter that said they only had, I think, four players in town and only two players uh, already lived in Dallas. So uh, it sounds like not too many guys were there. They're not going to have to move from Dallas, but they're still going to have to move somebody else somewhere else from where they live. So those f uh, nine former Raptors that signed to play in Dallas this year are, are Cody O'Neill, Chad Goff, Chad London, Kalepi Fafita, Carlo Denaishan, Ryan James, Campbell Johnstone, Robbie Petzer, and Marco Fepuliai. Um, you know, and then on top of all that, the, the issues that it creates with the players and stuff, it also creates scheduling issues for the league. Uh, like I said, Dallas was supposed to kick off on March 20th against the Giltinis. So uh, that'll, that'll be kind of a mess to move all that around. Um, and I'm sure teams have already started making accommodations and stuff. So just, you know, big bummer. I was looking forward to seeing the Jackals, obviously, with all the Raptors on their team. I think I've gone on the record saying I wanted to root for the Jackals this year. Um, so it's a bummer we're not going to get to see them. It sounds like we, we should still hopefully get to see all these all these former Raptors. Hopefully they get picked up in this next dispersal draft. And obviously, if I find any information about that, I'll be sure to let you all know. Um, but that's kind of the big two pieces of, of news that I saw in MLR this week um, and just kind of the way things are going. It feels like it's not going to be the last piece. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it is. I, I'm looking forward to watching some rugby just like the rest of you. So hopefully it's all good news from here on out.
but of course we'll keep an eye on all that. So last thing I want to talk about here in the breakdown um, is another former Raptor. So we got the Raptor tracker updated, but rugby ATL announced that friend of the program, Connor Cook has signed to play um, his rugby down there in Atlanta in 2021. So I'm happy for Connor. He's got maybe the cutest dog of all time. Uh, so I'm wishing Connor the best down there. He was a really good player here with the Raptors. I know if you listened to the interview I had him on, he's a high work rate type of guy, made a lot of tackles, super aggressive player, um, and was was having like a, a really good start to last season. Unfortunately, got injured there in that Toronto, uh, Toronto Arrows match. And, you know, we had to leave that one early. Obviously, that was the last match of the season, so he didn't miss much. Um, but I'm glad to see he's healthy and, and he's got a new team to play for next year. So we'll, of course, be cheering Connor on uh, from up here in Colorado. So congrats to Connor. Uh, wishing him nothing but the best down there. And as you can probably imagine, the Raptor tractor, Tracker will undergo some serious rewriting here in the next few weeks um, as those nine Raptors are redistributed throughout the league. I've also gone through last year's roster and, and kind of picked out people that hadn't signed yet. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that on next week's podcast, hopefully. We, we get a better idea as these guys sign, and I can give you some more accurate information. So that's that's kind of all I got for the breakdown this week. Obviously, some big pieces of news and, and some rappers on the move. So um, I will, of course, you know keep my eyes peeled and, and be ready to write when all that news drops. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the rugby that you can watch this weekend. I've been told I pronounced these uh, teams wrong, so I'm going to do my best to correct my pronunciation. Uh, big shout out for letting me know. You don't know unless somebody tells you, so I appreciate it. So looks like we got four matches we can watch this weekend. We've got Scarlets versus Cardiff Blues on Friday at 12.55 p.m. These times are, of course, in Mountain Time. We've got Zebra Rugby versus Edinburgh. Edinburgh, I think I'm saying that right. Let me know if I'm not. We've got Munster versus Leinster. Um, and Konakt versus Ospreys. I think I said those right. Let me know if I said them wrong. Uh, Zebra versus Edinburgh is on Saturday at 5.55 a.m. Munster versus Leinster is on Saturday at 12.30 p.m. And Konakt versus Ospreys is on Sunday at 7.55 a.m. You can stream all four of those matches on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so mix in a little rugby before, you know, championship weekend in the NFL. Uh, that kind of does it for, for the breakdown. So we'll go ahead and jump into the interview portion of the show. Uh, I was very fortunate to talk to Robin McDuel this week. Uh, awesome conversation with Robin, super interesting guy. I talked a little bit about at the beginning of the interview, but like, he's a guy that's kind of impossible to put in a box. He's done so many cool things. He's got so many interesting stories. He's like the definition of, you know, achieving your goals, having a goal, striving for it, working for it and achieving it. Um, just an awesome conversation. If, if the interview doesn't motivate you, I don't know what to tell you. It made me want to run through a brick wall. So I, I won't ramble on too much about it. Robin has a way better job of telling his story than I will. So with that, we'll go ahead and kick it to my interview with International Sevens coach, Robin McDuel. <laughs> All right, now I welcome on to the show, Robin McDuel. And Robin, I know uh, we, we just kind of talked about this a little bit, but I, but I wrote you an intro. Um, we can critique my intro when I'm done. So here's what I have. I have international sevens coach for Canada and Mexico, uh, owner and operator of MacDuel Rugby and co-host of the Rugby Hive. How was that? 
that's pretty pretty bang on colton thanks for having me yeah thank you so much for joining me um and i know we were talking off air a little bit you've got a very interesting story a very interesting life so to put that all in, in a box is kind of hard to do so that that was my best effort at that so robin i'll start you off the same way we start off every show the first question i ask everybody that comes on the show is just can you tell us a little bit about where you're from yeah, so I, I'm born and raised on Vancouver Island mm -hmm. in a little seaside town, uh, more specifically Maple Bay, or the closest real town is Duncan, BC. So um, it's a very sports-mad part of the world. It's on the far west coast of, uh, of Canada on mm -hmm. Vancouver Island. So we're just north of Seattle. Yeah, uh, you, could hit, you could hit the beaches of Seattle from a rock if you're on the southern tip of the island. And I think my my claim to fame um, is that I was my dad took me on the on the ocean fishing when I was five days old. So wow. I was born on a. He said you were born on a Tuesday in June, and, and Saturday was a fishing day. So he took me fishing. So yeah, already was, ripping uh, lips at, at five days old. That's not bad. Well, I still haven't caught a fish. Oh, I was out there. <laughs> <laughs> you you were trying at least, right? That's that's important. So Rob, I know you just you just mentioned uh, it's a sports mad part of the world. So can you tell us how you got into rugby a little bit? Was it was it through hockey? Is that like the Canadian pathway? Like how how did you get into rugby? Yeah, like most Canadian kids and North American kids, uh, I grew up playing ice hockey mm -hmm. um, in the old Wayne Gretzky era, watching the Oilers, uh, but uh, and, and baseball. Like I, you know, it was you know had a good balance of crazy for hockey over the winter mm -hmm. um and then after you know the season the second the spring kick hit and got out of uh got out of the skates and i i couldn't get my 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 ball glove on quick enough right <laughs> so it's uh it was it was really great and and uh my family like you know everybody played sports my my uncles actually got into rugby my dad's the oldest of six kids mm -hmm. so he was kind of the one that kind of moved out early and raised the family and, and kind of led the family. And then, uh, the younger ones had more opportunities to play sports. So, right. um, two of my uncles, uh, legendary Max McDowell and, uh, and, and Sean McDowell, they, they played for the Vancouver Island Crimson Tide, which later became a super league team. And, uh, uh -huh. had they not been good, hardworking Vancouver Islanders and raising families, they, they probably wouldn't went on to play for Canada as well. So I had them to look up to mm -hmm. and I kind of dabbled with the sport. And I don't think without them, I would have even known about the game. Um, but with that said, like Vancouver Island and the West coast of Canada traditionally has been the hottest spot in North America for rugby. And obviously things are booming around, right. around Canada and the U S now. So, um, my first coach, one of my first coaches, a man named Gary Duclo that went to the first two World Cups for Canada and he's still involved with as a scrum expert. So at my little my little middle school, little Mount Pebble Middle School, you know, you got this ex-international prop that's played professionally in uh, in Japan um, as one of your uh, one of your mentors. And um, and, you know, that was kind of in middle school and then in high school. In grade 10, uh, we didn't have enough for a team. So the team, the grade 10 team folded. And, and luckily, uh, uh, one of my buddies drugged me out in, in grade 11. I really got an opportunity when I got to play for the senior team and, and realized I had had a bit of gas and, and could finish and then um, and fell in love with it. And, you know, it's all who you surround yourself with. And I was fortunate to, uh, through rugby, to meet a guy named Chris Clark, who at the time in high school was playing in the, the couch and couch and rugby clubs men's side mm -hmm. uh, premier side at like 16 17 he was a man child <laughs> and so he, he he took me out to the club and 
And uh, by by grade 12, I hung up my skates and and uh, I had an opportunity to, um, you know, one of my childhood goals was was to go far in baseball. Mm-hmm. And 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 kind of my short term goal was to make represent the island team. So, you know, just, to, um, you know, baseball is pretty competitive up here. So um, to make the island team is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go to some big competitions. So finally, in grade 12. I made the island team. I was starting at center field. And what I realized um, before we played our first game, our, our, our kind of training camp was my favorite part of practice was actually just doing the warm up where we'd run around the entire field. Right. And, uh, and I was just, you know, off to the races. And, and, and then I hung up my glove. Uh, you know, I realized that I was a rugby player at that point. And then um, just with a bit of uh, momentum in that, in my grade 12 year, the, my home club uh we had a men's premier side and a men's second division side and uh we hosted provincials yeah. and bc's you know especially at that time was the premier uh the premier league in bc is the top league in canada for mm-hmm. for men's uh, elite rugby and um and our men won premier that year and i was on the second div men's team that that won the provincials as well so mm-hmm. we did back-to-back uh provincial championships i was a kid playing with the men I'd never even come close in baseball or uh, hockey in my a lifetime of playing those sports to getting to like a cup final. Right. And uh, and being a young buck uh, groomed by so many uh, so many legends locally, um, and and then I was on my way. Right. And uh, you know everything I've just about everything I've done in the in the sport of rugby, it's 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 come good for me. And and uh, and you know most of that is off the field, like opportunities to talk to you today. Right. That's an awesome story. And so, Robin, the next question I have is a question I ask everybody, and it's kind of interesting that you, you just talked about. So the question I ask everybody, the question I'm going to ask you is, like, do you remember, like, when you caught the bug? And it kind of sounds like you kind of realized playing baseball, like, and I haven't got that answer before. I was playing something else, you know, and I, I remember this part, or I liked this part of the warm-up, I liked this part of the training, and that's when I realized that I liked rugby. So I was just wondering if, like, you remember that, because, like, I think for me, when I kind of got the bug, I went through the training for like the first three or four weeks. We got on a plane. We went to go play in a tournament in Sacramento. And it was like the halftime of the first match. That's when I realized I was like, man, this sport is awesome. I love this. I didn't even know what I was doing until like about that point. I could kind of start to see the, the different drills we run in training, like start to click. I could understand why we're doing some of that stuff. And that's like when it hit me. So is that when it hit you? Was it playing baseball or was there like another time? No, I mean, I was already in love with the game, but I would say through, you know, what, you know, the, when I was playing in grade 12 in high school and, uh, you know, I was one of the captains of the team and, and we had a sevens tournament and, and back then sevens wasn't too big, of course, mm-hmm. but I was in love with sevens. Cause I mean, I, I'm five, eight, a hundred nothing pounds and, and shifty. So, uh, so it suited me, of course, there's mm-hmm. a lot more space to, to have a go. Um, and our, our high school, when we were in grade, sorry, when we were in grade 11, we went to the provincial championship and I don't know, there's gotta be well over a hundred high schools in our province that, right. that have de- strong programs, including the top private schools in Canada uh, that are like very well funded. And these kids are getting, you know, getting into the sport yeah. in, in, in middle school, before, you know, so, and they stay together for the whole like six year run. So, um, we're just a bunch of, you know rural uh public school kids that are crossover athletes right um and and 
and, and just having a go. So in grade 11, we finished 23rd out of 24 teams, Colton. Jeez. And in grade 12, uh, we finished fourth. Yeah. Right. And we beat like Oak Bay high school. That's produced guys like Phil, Phil Mack, who yeah. obviously won a couple MLRs, uh, with, with Seattle and played for Canada a few years, that legend, like, uh, and, and there's a number of guys that are still coming through from Oak Bay, one of the top programs in Victoria. And then obviously, Shongan Lake and Brentwood and St. Michael. So um, I had a breakout tournament. And um, after that tournament, I, I really got a taste of success and, and was the first time I was really able that I felt I could control the game. I mm-hmm. could make a difference uh, on the field. Um, and I had just had, I just had such a, a great experience and um, you know, there's nothing better than, than, than putting the puck in the net. Mm-hmm. until you score a try and, and kick a conversion. So I kind of took my love from shooting pucks and, and catching baseballs in, in my in my backyard with my dad to spending like four to six hours at the at the couch and rugby club by myself with some country music on and, and kicking for goal. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I really loved about the game was just how many different skills you could work on. Um, and you can just spend hours on different kinds of kicks and different kinds of passes and um, you know, so that I, I love the challenge of that in, in the team, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing that we always talk about rugby is, is the culture and, and yeah. being welcomed into, into a family. So, um, and the couch and rugby club, you know, it's, it's a log cabin set in, you know, in the Valley of a bunch of mountains, two minutes from the ocean, um, around all agriculture and, and, you know, it's wood fires on a Thursday and singing around the piano. They still <laughs> do that to this day. So, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better introduction to right. the sport. Um, and, uh, the biggest challenge I'll say, like, I'll just say like what really turned me off, uh, from hockey and, and, and listen, I, I mean, there's still people that identify me as a hockey player that I grew up playing hockey yeah. with and I still love the game. Um, but there'd be fights in the parking lot before the games, there'd mm-hmm. be fights in the, on the way to the change room, there'd be fights on, on the way from the change room to the the ice there'd be fights in the game there'd be fights in the handshake there'd be fights all the way back into the parking <laughs> lot there'd be and if there wasn't enough fights we'd be playing helmets and gloves yeah. with our own teammates and that was the culture of it um the the and and that doesn't wasn't really like how i was raised uh, right and that's not i never really felt like that was that was who I was, and but I tried to hang in that crowd. And mm-hmm. also, I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't a big guy. I liked scoring goals right. and passing the puck, and and flying around guys. So that wasn't really my style. So transitioning into rugby, it was like coming home. You know, I had mm-hmm. these, you know, some current Canadian internationals like Gregor Dixon and Donnie McFadden that went on to play for Scotland, who did a gap year. Like I had these, yeah. um, you know, superhero, some of the best players in the world at my home club. And guess what? They were really outstanding individuals. So, right. um, so when I was young, uh, young, I had so many mentors like that. I was going to ask, were you surprised that rugby wasn't like that when you kind of made the switch? Yeah. And going back to my uncle Max, this is a great example. I remember watching my uncle Max play. He was a big outside center. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he was called Max because of the movie Mad Max. Yeah. The way he played his, his name was actually, is actually Ken. Um, but anyway, he was, he was, <laughs> He, he was, they were playing James Bay, the infamous James Bay in, in Victoria, which was our old rivals. And he was having a punch up with this guy. And then the whistle blew, mm-hmm. right? Literally in the 80th minute, these guys are having a punch up in the mud. 
and <laughs> I, 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 I'm sitting in the stands with my dad, just blown away and frightened. And these two ogres, they, my uncle and this other guy, they walk off the field arm in arm, like <laughs> dripping with mud on the West Coast. You know, not a lot of snow here, a lot of rain. And right. Straight into the straight to the clubhouse with with a an ice cold beer and and having a laugh like like they were best friends and you know the, just going back to that hockey piece just leaving it on the field mm-hmm. that was the first time I was like wow like this is this is where it's at and then what I tell a lot of moms that are are interested you know crossover football and hockey and other sports coming in, they're like well it's a rough sport I said you know what. Um, yeah, sure. There's a lot of more contact, but I just said the kids don't have that aggression after right. the game, and 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 they're not allowed to back talk the ref or the coaches or each other like the level of respect. So, um, yeah, there is some aggression and and some controlled chaos on the field, but the culture is 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 kind of that gentleman spirit. So for sure, um, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to look for a fight after the game. Yeah, exactly. You just been running around for 80 minutes. So. That's, I mean, that's awesome story. And I think that's perfect. And I think that's something I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are people that are, are just, you know, becoming familiar with the game of rugby. They're still learning about it. So to hear you talk about that, I think that's really important. Uh, so, so Robin, the next question I have for you is just, if you could tell me a little bit about your playing career. So I know you've kind of like talked us through your, your high school rugby. So what did you do after high school? Well, um, I wanted to go to the university of Victoria. Uh, it's, Again, one of the best programs in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's number one. Uh, well, UVic and UBC are kind of tied for number one. And then, uh, obviously, now my good buddy, uh, Colton Carriaga, mm-hmm. pretty darn good in, in uh, Life in, University. In Life, yeah. In Hotlanta there. So, uh, so USA's coming up. But, yeah, so the infamous Doug Tate. Doug played for Canada, coached Canada, and is just the best guy around. And, and I idolized him. Uh, being a North Island kid, just knowing about the UVic program and so many guys before me had played from. So I wanted to be a Vike. And I also knew at the time, because um, he was coaching Canada, sevens that, you know, fish where the fish are, you know, train alongside the best coach, along the best players, mm-hmm. and um, and you'll be set up for success. So, but I didn't have the grades. So I went to I went to college for a year off island in Nanaimo because um, mm-hmm. I didn't have the grades at that point to go to UVic. And then, I got headhunted by a few different schools across the states from Alabama and Auburn, um, mm-hmm. San Diego State, uh, and uh, and then I was going to choose Oregon because I, I think Oregon's kind of similar kind of yeah. culture and location and not too, too far away and, and also had a pretty good program at the time and rich history. So I was, I was just about to settle on Oregon and I got, a, I got an email uh from a from a pro team in france and this is around 2000 i think 2000 or 2001 and france at the 99 world cup had finished second after upsetting the all blacks Mm -hmm. in the in the cup semi-final and so that really caught my attention and i was a big uh um you know i was a big fan of french rugby in in how they played running rugby like how they would create so much and i identified with that um, the couch and rugby club in those days and probably still these days are more of a forward dominated uh, blue collar right. uh, rugby up the guts. And when you're a, when you're a flashy, fast, uh, s- smaller uh, winger yeah. um, that wants to shake and then bake, um, you don't get the ball too much. Yeah, the opportunities so, are, 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 you know, hard to come by, it seems like. Uh, absolutely. And then the, like the other piece is that 
there wasn't too many creative Canadian players that I could look up to at the time, you know? And, and so for the French, I took a piece from the French. I took a piece from the Fijians. I took the kicking from England and, you know, I kind of made it my own. So I said, well, if I'm going to actually get better at rugby, um, I think this would be a great place to go and challenge myself. Mm -hmm. And man, I, uh, I got on a plane and kissed my mom and my Italian grandmother goodbye at the airport (laughs) and shed tears on my 10 minute flight to Vancouver before I traveled across the world. And, Landed in uh, landed in Belgium because uh, we we're right, we we're playing right in the the, the along the Belgian border, okay. Belgium French border in in a, in a city called Lille, in in the north and um, and anyway traveled for two days got there and these 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 big Frenchmen picked me up and um, on a on a dreary day <laughs> got in the back of the car I mean I was just a country bumpkin like <laughs> I'd barely been on a I don't think I'd been on a city bus at that point oh, right wow. like there's no transportation like uh, back then like in our little town here and um, you know and and had had very little traveling experience too and 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 to be honest I wasn't the best rugby player back then anyway but I you know the only way to to learn how to swim is the is to dive in yep. so. Um, they said, do you want to go to sleep? Do you want to eat? Do you want to, uh, relax? Do you want to go watch practice? Do you want to go meet the guys? And I was like, I want to practice, you mm-hmm. know, like I want to get on the field. That's where I feel home is on the field. Right. So I, I, I showed up and started running hot laps around these Frenchmen. And, uh, <laughs> I connected with this big Aussie, uh, his name was Monty and he was in his late twenties. And he was kind of became like my big brother because he's been traveling around the world playing rugby for years. Mm-hmm. And and this big Aussie, you know, second rower pops his head through the crowd. He goes, I think you're going to do pretty good over here, you, <laughs> you Canuck. And I just looked at him because I didn't think anybody spoke English. And and I said, why is that? And then the Frenchman could understand. He goes, because all these guys are great at rugby, but man, do they smoke. He, so, <laughs> you, had the, you had the cardio on them. You had the fitness on them then. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was keen for days. So, I mean, I, they would like the coach would tell me to slow down. He was this ex French international prop and Michel Cremachi was a legend in in Southern France. And, and he'd always tell me to slow down, <laughs> slow down, like just All relax. Right. Cause I'd always want to go. So I went to France, um, at like 1920 and then I had a great experience, live with a family. Uh, they visited Canada, um, and had, you know, just grew um learned about fine wines and and good food and 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 luckily my mom had had me in french immersion growing up in canada here so she was pretty proud of herself Uh, my sister became a french teacher and and i was living in france playing rugby so uh when they were renewing my contract at the end of that season michelle cremashi which is our coach said Mm -hmm. to me are you going to come back do you want to come back Uh, we'll sign you again i said well to be honest if i'm going to come back to europe um, I want to go to Italy because my mom was born there and mm-hmm. uh, I had a lot of family there and I'd never been and I wanted to experience something, something new. And, um, you know, they weren't very organized when I went to France. Like they, a lot of the stuff was getting figured out throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I said, well, if I'm going to go to Italy, like, can you, he's like, well, he was half Italian as well. So he goes, I'll, I'll hook you up with a club. I got a good friend that is a president of a club there. And uh, so they flew me down at the end of the French season before I came home for the summer, and I wanted to straighten everything out. But um, I quickly learned that the number one word in Italian is domani, which is Italian for tomorrow. Like, when's this going to happen? Tomorrow. <laughs> when are you going to get us this? Tomorrow. Uh, my, but, my, my grandma used to say, tomorrow never comes. It never came. And so, <laughs> um, 
the the secretary of the club, which is a just a beautiful man, uh, old man Spacamonte, which he would always tell me he's Brick Mountain, and he was smaller than me. He'd clinch his <laughs> fist and say, "I'm Brick Mountain" every day when I'd see him, and uh, he'd give me a kiss on each cheek, of course, in Italy, and and I just said to him, "Do not say." Domani, like yeah. I don't want to hear Domani out of your lips, but uh, yeah, they drove me around for the first three days, didn't let me sleep, uh, to get all my paperwork done, and then the second my paperwork was done, to be able to play, uh, they don't get you going. But uh, that's a lot of like education I help with, you yeah. know, a lot of athletes since is with contracts and stuff like that. So make sure, you know, it's a business. Yeah, they're not always, you know, yeah, they want you, and as long as you're delivering, but you know, you got to make sure uh, you get you get the paperwork and stuff done properly. So I spent a year in Italy. I actually led the uh, the Series A league there in points, and and in that time. The team lost some funding, and essentially they couldn't afford me, um, mm-hmm. even though they weren't paying me too, too much back then. So they they put me on a bit of a contract loan to Rugby Rubigo, which is in the in the top ten oh, which yeah. is in their pro league. So I got a trial with their uh, uh, pro team, and, and me being naive and there not being much internet back then, there was a bunch of like South African super rugby players and ex-Springboks <laughs> like in that side. And, uh, you know classic robin style you know it's fitness time at the end of our first practice in this professional team like training in the stadium and we were doing like 300 meter repeaters Mm -hmm. so them not knowing that you know uh, i'm crazy they had me in like one of the slower groups as like a you know one of the development players right and so then they put me in the next group so there's four groups so then i was in the front group with these two uh, you know, super rugby players mm-hmm. um, that were three times my size, big outside centers and flankers. And uh, we had to do it, I don't know, like 10 times. Anyway, I waxed them every time and they weren't, <laughs> they weren't too, actually the South Africans were good with it, but the coaching stuff wasn't very good right. with it because the SSC guys been training these guys. So anyway, then, then I started getting paid and uh, they basically, they were paying me, but I was playing for Ferrara uh, down the road as they're like, you know, brother club. And then Rivigo was going to sign me for the next year. But I decided in that time that I wanted to play for Canada mm-hmm. um, and play sevens for Canada and get an education. And so um, I moved back at, at the end of that season and um, went to college for four semesters or sorry, five <laughs> semesters and applied to uvic all five times so if you've ever watched the movie rudy yep it's it's like carbon copy just even from an academic standpoint and just grinding because at that point to do a uh, college university transfer you needed an a minus average wow and i was not an a minus student um uh but i got my grades up to an a minus to get in there because my 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 why and my dream, like I had to go to UVic because they had a program college. They didn't have a, they don't have a program. And so right. um, in January after Christmas one year, I got accepted and, uh, and the rest is almost history. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that kind of leads to the, to the next part. So you, you talk about, you know, you have this goal, you want to play for Canada. Uh, so what was that journey like? Cause it, so I've read it, it took what, seven years before you finally made the sevens team. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a seven year seven year dream, and um, you know the first practice, not even trial, I guess the first practice I went <laughs> to, like sometimes they would have, sometimes they have, you know, like uh, back then because you would kind of you would kind of concentrate like 
before you went on tour or you'd have big camps. So when they had open camps, there'd be 70, 80 guys, right. right? Whoever, you know, across the country. And, and then they had like, you know, the, the long list, only the long list people. So like the top 30, 40, and then they would have the short list, which would be like top 22 or top 18. And then they would have like the travelers and maybe four or five non-traveling reserves. Mm -hmm. And then they would sometimes have camps where it's just like traveling team. Right. Right. So this was, there was a traveling team and uh, there was a Canada, Canada West 15s game versus Scotland on the Saturday at University of Victoria in the stadium. I went down to watch and Doug Tate, cause he's a university coach there. He was help helping like with the facilities and he's just the guy that does everything. So he's walking around and I, I scream over the, like the stadium fans at, at Doug and, mm-hmm. uh, and introduce myself and, and, um, Oh yeah. Hey, nice to meet you. Like he's just the biggest beauty ever. <laughs> hey, um, I want to play cat sevens for Canada. Like when's your next thing? He's like, Oh, we got practice tomorrow. Come check it out. And he was kind of like, I don't know if he was joking or inviting right. me, but I'm like, oh. it was the hardest thing I ever did was I showed up. So I got my rugby club little, I looked like a high school kid, right? My <laughs> rugby club socks on. And yeah. anyway, the, the gate was locked. Like the doors were locked. It was, it was the, like the last weekend before they went to the 2000, two commonwealth games manchester games right so i i climb the fence into the practice and there's like the 12 travelers just looking at me like who's yeah who is this who's guy this guy who's this guy <laughs> and like i got I invited know. yesterday i swear i'm not breaking into yeah i got invited i, I, I promise i literally said those things and uh doug's like yeah yeah come over but you know the first guy that the first guy just talking about earlier about culture and and gentlemen the first guy that went out of his way to introduce me or introduce himself to me was uh, a man named winston stanley he uh he was i think he was just overtaken by dth as the top try scorer all time for canada huh. but he's one of the best players ever he won a european cup with uh uh leicester tigers um and you know, I grew up watching Winnie. Like he's one of the fastest humans I've ever seen. Right. Um, but here's a guy, and he had he actually broke the Canadian record for tries the weekend before in Chicago or something, playing 15s. And uh, and so he was, you know, the biggest ticket in town, the biggest name in the team, the top player, <laughs> top scorer. First guy to walk over and introduce himself. Hey, I'm Winnie. Nice to meet you. And then we were in this like decision-making drill. It was just a two-on-one decision-making drill, and the defense was coming at you. Like they had the option to yep. pick who they were coming at you. And anyway, I was going through and putting a guy away each time, and and he had a he wasn't having the same fortune. And um, he come over to me <clears throat> at this point. He's probably already got like fifty caps or whatever, fifteens <laughs> and sevens, and and just pulls me aside. I don't know if he was just being a you know a good guy or make me feel. Uh, special or what but he just said hey um you know i've been struggling the last two times like i I haven't been able to put a guy through like what are you seeing that i'm not seeing i said well this is what you want to do and uh he's like okay thanks and then he went and did what i just told him Uh and i was i was like what are the magic like (laughs) what's going on here here? yeah yeah it just set the expectation for me um for when i became one of the senior players in the men's programs and then obviously as a coach to to never have an ego and some of the younger guys in the team that were just cutting their teeth and not as comfortable in their own skin uh were definitely you know giving me you know different body language than some right. of the, the the classier senior guys and and that's normal you know as you as you break through when you lack confidence so for me um you know i tried out in the in and out of the program uh for years 
and you know i opened up my email probably over 50 times and for different tournaments and and my name was on the wrong side of it and um you know i think i think one of the most um you know epic moment of of the whole process was i was the only non-traveling reserve in 2005 world cup Mm -hmm. and um and it was 2004 2005 season so they went to Dubai, South Africa. So I was at all the camps. It was a traveling team. They had more budget. They stayed at Seanigan Lake at the Canada House there. So the team was all together. And I'd go to all those camps. I was the only non-traveling reserve there. Mm-hmm. Rick's, the infamous Rick, Rick Sudget, old sluggo that ended up coaching the USA women later, um, he had me there. And I had all the kit. Like, they never give you any kit, mm-hmm. sacred team kit, <laughs> until, like, you're traveling. But I had every single piece except for the jersey, right? Yeah. And um, so they really made me feel like part of the side. And so they went to Dubai, South Africa, great. And then the New Zealand camp, um, they went away. And then we met up with them in L.A. with UVic because we went and watched the L.A. 7s. And then we traveled around California and played some different sides after the competition. So <clears throat> we arrive on the Friday night in Los Angeles. Our hotel is kind of on the outskirts and being university college boys what do they do well uh they they get on the sauce yeah, right and they go look get for on a good time hard. yeah they go look for a good time but there was no good times we were in the middle of nowhere so yeah. they were you know the, the infamous uh Vic, i think they still do it today they have their their once a year dumpster party like they're basically just <laughs> having a couple quiet ones by a dumpster outside the hotel and um i was like a hair from being in the national team so i'm like the last thing I'm going to do is is get on the sauce. Yeah. Cause, and I wasn't really on it at that point. I was pretty focused. And um, what if somebody gets injured? What if I, you know, like, also, I don't want to be that guy in and around the national team coaches or, you know, mm-hmm. publicly within the sevens. And I never witnessed the World Seven Series in person, right? Right. Um, I'd been the biggest sevens fan ever for already like a decade i knew every player i knew everything i was like i i always say i, I thought sevens was cool before it was cool um <laughs> and uh just a total geek that way but anyhow a bunch of the guys like there's other sevens long list guys or guys that have been in and out of the team that were in our uvic team there was 15s guys like stalwarts in there i'm not going to say names but uvic mm-hmm. guys beauties and and you know they're having a good time um, they'd been there and done it. They hadn't been after it for six years, knocking on the right. door. So anyway, I keep, I kept my stuff tight. Next day we go to the tournament to watch and the boys are on the sauce, right? Yeah. As you know, as they should be enjoying themselves in the stadium. Well, um, I'm not, I'm on the waters yeah. and, um, I was visiting, um, one of my elementary school rugby coaches that did like an intro for us one day she was up there in the stands and I hadn't seen her since I was a kid. And, and while I was talking to her, she's like been following my story at that point And like, Oh, I hear your clothes. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, um, and then all of a sudden one of our athletic therapists from the university came running up to me all anxious, like, Hey, uh, Spencer Robinson, he's looking for you. Uh, he's assistant <laughs> coach of the national team. He's looking for you. Uh, they want to know, like, uh, did you bring your, your stuff like with your gear? I'm like, yeah, I did. It's at the hotel. Like, yeah. well, like, well, Shane Thompson, who later went on to coach, he got injured in New Zealand and um, and they're hoping he'd be cleared for the weekend, but they ruled him out like he's not playing. So they're like, they thought about me, like, let's get Robin in, yeah. right? So the girls are like, okay, we'll come back to where all the guys are, which is kind of close to the tunnel, and uh, and then Spence is going to come get you. So 
everybody's like freaking out. Right. Yeah. Um, so I go back to the boys. Well, they already know. And they're on the sauce for three, four hours, <laughs> of course. Right. And so they're freaking out. There's like 30 guys there. And, um, anyway, Spencer Robinson comes walking through the end zone of, of the stands and at the LA sevens there, right. They, they, they leave the end zone during the day. Like they leave it on day one. They, cause it's a Friday or whatever right. it was. They left it empty just for TV. So you could see the one guy walking through the blocked off area in the end zone and uh, in the stands. And it was just like this epic, timeless <laughs> moment looking for me. So I stand up and he like calls me over. So I go running over. My heart's like ready to yeah. explode. <laughs> and he's like, do you have your stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I have it at the hotel. He's like, of course you do. Um, so I, I was going to get my key card to go get it. And, and basically I was, I was setting up for, uh, to be starting. I was going to debut, uh, at nine or at halfback against the U S in the U S on the last game of the night, Saturday night, like what an epic right. uh, opportunity. So there I am in the players section with the boys and getting ready to rock. And the IRB guy calls our manager and our coach over. And then the coaches come over like devastated. They're like, yeah, uh, we, you got ruled out. Like you needed to be on the list by 11, 11 p.m. last night. Jeez. Um, so like, and they like the coaches were genuine, genuinely uh, more gutted than I was. Yeah. Right. Because they've just literally just just fired me right up, and then and then broke my heart. You know? Right. So, um, but they promised me like so. The next trip after that was typically the Hong Kong Sevens in Singapore. So they said, you know, because it's a World Cup, Hong Kong is going to be a standalone tournament. The World Cup's going to be a standalone tournament, in Hong Kong. So then we're going to send, you know, we're going to Shane. We'll get Shane ready for the World Cup, and then you'll be one of the leaders in the new blooded teams at the end of that like four year cycle, right? That'll uh -huh. that'll lead the next generation and go to Singapore on a one-off tournament to Singapore and then on to Europe. Well, they name they name that team for Singapore and I'm not in it. Mm. Right? Rick Sudgett at that time, he he'd taken he'd taken over the 15s team, so he still had the reins of the 7s. He'd uh he'd put Shane in charge of Shane and Spencer in charge of it, but he still had control. So he he blooded the 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 Singapore group and then uh, with a bunch of guys, potential young studs for 15s, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to get them ready for like the Churchill Cup and stuff for the summer. So I was not on the list. I was gutted. Yeah. Right. Like, had I got on in LA, the rest would have been history. Who knows? I might have made the World Cup team or right. whatever. So, you know, Spencer and Slug were like, "Don't worry, you'll be in. You'll be in the uh, the 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 European legs. No problem. Like, you'll be in there for sure. Just keep training." So like at that time, like we were doing testing like once a week, yeah. right? And I'd be doing it with you, Vic, and with Canada. And I would like, if there was more testing in different areas of the city or elsewhere on the island, like I would go do those. I would yeah. do like two testings. I was just so keen and, and just like, like, I didn't know what to do. So I did so much, you know what I mean? Right. I wasn't really working smart. I was just, I was just, I had all this energy and passion towards my goal. I just wanted to move forward. And, um, Anyway, they named the they named the uh, the European legs. I open up the email. Well, that was heartbreaking. So Spencer calls me, and and um, he'd been in my corner for years, and he just said, "You know what, Robin? Like you've you've had a you've had a hell of a run. You've come a long way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just like Rudy Rudebeck, right? Like you yeah, coming there with the best players in the country. Um, it's nothing, nothing, uh, nothing to." 
to let your head go down on and and um but i think it's time to move on yeah you know, like i i don't want to break your heart but you know you should be proud of yourself of where you're gone and uh and i i didn't know what to do because yeah, you know, every, every every day getting to that point i was waking up with the wind at my sails like right. i literally every time i get caught i'd be gutted and i wake up and literally as I'm taking my foot out of the bed, I'm get, I got a wind in my sails. Like I wanted it so bad, right. it was so powerful. And um, anyway, I cried that night. I'll be honest. And I was gutted and I was lost because I was, I had a North Star and that was that program and getting on the field for my country. Right. And and now that that was gone. And so I woke up the next morning, and I said, you know what? Have, like, let's be honest with yourself. I was sitting on the couch and I said, have I given it everything? possible like uh-huh. am, am i am i as big and strong as i could be yes i am fit but am i as as am i as fit as i possibly could be mm-hmm. am i as fast as i could be is my footwork as good as it could be is my skills so uh, and that was you know obviously that was summertime because the european legs so i uh, i went i was working as a summer student for the municipality of north couch in the local town and i would work in the ditch uh laying pipe and 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 doing road work Mm-hmm. You know, eight hours a day, often on projects, we'd be working overtime in the sun. And then I would um, get off work, drive to my mom's place downtown, and I'd run I'd run the hills in the Cowichan Valley for, or sorry, I'd run to the gym for 15-minute uh, 15 run to the gym, work out for an hour, and then I'd run around the town and do hills for an hour. Jeez. And then I would go to the biggest hill in our town, and it, it would be like saying Mufasa in, in Lion King when I tell the story <laughs> to local kids because this hill is disgusting, right? Yeah. Um, and it takes like five minutes to drive up, and I would sprint up it six times. Um, and then the seventh time, I would go up it backwards because like sevens. Yeah. And then, um, but all I could see, all I could see in my head for the first time was seeing myself at the 2006 Commonwealth Games because when I told Rick that I was going to go for it, he said, the 2006 Commonwealth Games are um are in melbourne australia Uh and he goes if i was you i would be in that team and and that's when he stepped away from that program and and that's all i saw so it didn't matter how hard it hurt how much time i put in the sacrifices i made it was it was just i could just see myself in that stadium and and visualize that that when i was in pain and then i would go to the track Mm-hmm. And I would do footwork and speed for another hour. So I put in like three, four hours and then Jeez. I would go to my mom's to get my car and I'd be face down in the grass. And they're like, <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? Yeah, you're killing right? yourself. But that's crazy. Uh, so I, um, I rolled up into, uh, into trials the next fall and Shane Thompson, new coach, uh, fresh start. And it was a different format this year, that year. And it was, it was basically uh, during the week and it was games. And I absolutely I absolutely tore it up mm-hmm. and uh um every everything i did it, it worked out i got the bounces i made my tackles i put guys away i scored tries like there was the other guys i was competing with from a halfback i just destroyed them i was mm-hmm. far more prepared and hungry and then uh and then two weeks later uh we had to do our fitness testing well at that point i didn't know that all 15 selectors had had me at the top of their list yeah and um and I was going to Dubai, but for me, I had to do the, 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 uh, fitness testing. And for me, that was always my wheelhouse. I was, I had to top fitness year after year after year, even though I, I never made, I never was on the team. <laughs> so it was a rainy, it was a rainy, uh, Friday night. And, um, and it, it was 
basically four laps around the track and then and then the rest is history right yeah. and it's pouring rain because uvix right off the water there's puddles on the track uh we do our our our, our 40 meter testing we do our 400 meter testing i got the fastest time in that and then we got to our our, our 1500 and i was on the line starting in the corner uh obviously i'm you know it's on the 45 angle right stagger mm-hmm. start and um I peel out of it on the inside lane as fast as I can. And my old runners that had holes in them, and I went face first, Colton, into the into the puddle. Oh. Like just, I just ate shit. Like right there, bang. <laughs> I got up, and when I got up, these guys were already on the second corner. Yeah. Right? I <clears throat> I lapped two guys in a four lap, and the closest guy was was a half a lap away by the time I Jeez. finished. And, and the UVic girls soccer team was in the infield uh, practice under the lights. And uh, two of the girls were on the varsity council with me. And the next day we had a meeting and, and they said, like, we were watching you run around that track and you look like a possessed person. I'm like, <laughs> I've waited my whole life. You kind life. of are in their defense. Yeah. You kind of are a possessed person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they were like, there was nothing stopping you. And, uh, and uh, the sweetest moment for me was um, – my mom was actually in Victoria at the time because we live up island and uh, she had uh, she she had some meetings in Victoria. She was at a hotel down there and, and she took me over for dinner and and uh, I, you know, yeah. get emotional. But I just cried and I said, I think I did it. I think I did it. So um, I that can't was, uh, I literally yeah, cannot even crazy. imagine how good that felt to finally like get to where you're trying to go that you've been working so hard for that whole time. I, I just can't, I can't even imagine, honestly. Now, now just to, just to peel it back story before you get the next question. Oh no, please. you're good. I've been cut from any, I, every ice hockey team, every baseball team, every soccer team, every team. I mean, every team I ever got cut for, I eventually made. So my mm-hmm. dad used to always get a, get a kick out of me. And he, he pulled this article out of the times colonists, which is the big paper out of Victoria at our capital city in BC is, you know, kids that blossom later. And it's the ones that the ones with a bit of attrition and a bit of fight in them that, that go further, the ones that have it easy young, well, when, right. when the other kids catch up and it, it becomes more than, than just, uh, you know, size and strength. Um, and the other ones catch up and develop more, but you know, now fast forward in 2021 i'm the head of talent at e for the canadian women i'm involved with the men uh sevens and 15s and women like right. at all levels um and then obviously you know looking for talent in a in a raw country like mexico where i don't know the the, the language or the or the layout of the country um the diamonds are in the rough yeah and you get me a, a midwest farm boy in Canada, the U S and you put them toe to toe with a kid from downtown LA. And yeah. I'll, I'll tell you who's going to, you yeah. know, I'll tell you who's going to win that dog fight. And, uh, I spent the last decade in Saskatchewan, heartland of Canada. And, and these, these true blue cowboy boys and girls like, man, they've been run over by cattle their whole life. And they're not a, they're not going to be, they're not going to be crying for help in a band aid when, when they, when they get tackled. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I agree with you 100%. Like you're saying, to, you're, you don't always reach home first when you're born on third base, I guess is, is another way to put it. And uh, that's an interesting story. So I guess, Robin, uh, leading into the next question, like, would you say that's your favorite rugby memory then? Or is there another one that kind of comes to the top of your head, like finally getting selected, finally I, making I the team? I, I didn't think I'd cry on a podcast, but my, my <laughs> best rugby memory, my best, my best, um, 
my best memory outside of my my personal life yeah um is is qualifying the moment we qualified for the sevens world cup for mexico that moment yeah i have the picture um with the captain basically tackling me yeah um and, you know talking about like your your my motto is have a dream surround yourself by people that believe in you and you'll be you'll succeed so dream believe succeed and and doing it as a player is 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 quite selfish and and it's for me but my why is for others and my driving force to fulfill my dream was for what I'm doing today. And I've been doing since I stopped playing for Canada, which is inspiring, finding the talent, setting kids up for success so they can use sport as a vehicle to achieve anything in life. And um, to be able to do that with uh, a country like Mexico, yeah, uh, which has the most amazing uh, people and culture and um, defy all odds, adversity, injury, illness, uh, lack of resources, lack of everything, and just uh, make history and now mm -hmm. grow the game down there. That moment, that's, you know, if I was, if that was my last day, I would, I probably would have been okay. <laughs> that's Honestly, awesome. it was, I can't even explain that, that feeling. And, uh, um, and, and it shows you that anything's possible, yeah. but as a, as, as a player, as a player now, um, I don't talk about my playing career too much because you can tell it's it's a long story. But <laughs> I'll share that my my number one moment was 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 scoring my first try um, in Dubai day one, the first game I started. And yeah. uh, the weird thing is, I told my inner circle, my, I had a group of mentors like Ron Glass and Craig Lortz and ex coaches, and um, I told them and some of my close friends and my family like how I was going to score my first try. Like I told them, like five yeah. six years out, I told them exactly how I was going to score my first try. And when it happened, I didn't even think about it. It was one of those uh, float moments. Coaches yeah. talk about float moments when, you know, Michael cans like a hundred threes. Um, it just like, <laughs> it's an outer body experience. It just happens. And, and I told them that I would um, like, I didn't even plan for it. I put the ball in the scrum. It was, a, I went blind as a halfback yeah. around the back and no disrespect, but to have the balls to do that your first tournament, your yeah, first yeah. start, I don't think I did that again ever in my <laughs> career. Um, if I was, my brain was on, there was no way I was going to have a go because I was fast in Canada, but I was slow in the World Series. Anyway, I, I chipped it over the sweeper and, and got the just a, a dream of a bounce, and the guy <laughs> fell over, and, and I got to take my time and cruise in the end zone and, uh, and, and dive under the post. And another thing that I told people I would do is I was going to kiss the maple leaf uh, after I scored my first try, well, yeah. my coach was going to sub me off because he thought I did my shoulder when I was kissing the Maple Leafs. That was a little <laughs> embarrassing, but that was my that was that was my favorite. Uh, that That's was my awesome favorite moment. And uh, and then, but you know, anything I've I've had an opportunity to do as as a rugby coach um, mm -hmm. has been far more fulfilling than anything I've ever done as a player. That's interesting to hear you say that. And I know you've already mentioned the Mexican women's sevens team. That's something I'm like very interested in. So I would assume it's, it's kind of a long winding road to how you got there, but like, how, how did you get, you know, placed in charge of the Mexican women's seven team? And, and I mean, just what that's been like, I, I was reading the, they call you coach Loco. I was wondering what that's all about too. <laughs> like, I, I just am very interested in how you, you wound up the Mexican women's sevens team and, and just what that experience has been like. Yeah, so uh, I went on a – there's a select site called the Dog River Howlers and a, and, a, and a great man named Carl Fix that organizes it. And it's uh, basically current national team players, future national team players, and ex-national team players. And I was an ex-national team player. And 
we went to the Havana Savins in Cuba and the Lancers was there and a few other American teams and other mm-hmm. national teams from Trinidad and Jamaica and Mexico and all the rest of it. So um, in that, t- the, the second year I went, they had their first ever Howlers women's team and, or sorry. Yeah. First ever Howlers women's team. And they didn't really have a coach. And one of the players was a, a Mexican girl named Rosie Rivera. That was captain of Mexico, but she'd married a Canadian lived in Canada. So she was there and um, I got to meet her kind of more after the tournament. Yeah. Now, we were in a cup final uh, for the men and we were playing after the women's cup final. And it was, it was um, uh, essentially Canada, us. It was the Howlers versus Atlantis and Canada had a small super fit sevens looking team. And Atlantis had some more 15 style players and they were, you, the Atlantis girls were up four tries to zero against the Canadian girls. And mm-hmm. so I went onto the field at halftime also like try not to, you know, um, disrespect them. I just said like, um, I know you don't have a coach. I've seen a couple things and I was coach player for the men's team. Yeah. Would you, would you like me to share with you? Like, you know, and I didn't want to overstep my boundary. And they said, yeah, by all means, they're exhausted and they're getting pounded. So I said, what is your strength? They're like, well, our speed and, and, uh, and, and our fitness and all that. Yeah. Okay. And what's their strength? Well, off the guts are bigger and they're stronger. Okay. So, we should, even if you set a goal of passing the ball twice, minimum twice, but even better if it's three times, mm-hmm. even if like stand static, get it down the line yeah. and have a go out wide because they kept trying to run it up the guts. Anyway, they came back and they won five tries to four. So it's basically <laughs> like I compare it to like, there's an empty nut, shoot the puck, yeah. right? Don't, don't try and run it into the defender. Just put in the empty net. And uh, anyway, tic-tac-toe, five tries, they win. They come up to me, uh, Rosie and her husband come up to, he was down there watching ross and he and they said like oh you're a great coach and i'm like well it's 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 simple (laughs) math but i said um they said you know listen mexico just got got started like a year or two before um they'd love to get me involved and uh, they're really sweet people so we talked for three four years colton and and try to make it happen and finally uh thanks to rosie it happened we actually hosted them in saskatchewan in the middle of canada we did a bit of a cross Canada uh, camp and tour. Um, and then I consulted from 2014 to 2014, 2015, 2016. They, uh, when their head coach moved to Argentina with his wife, uh, uh, they didn't really do much. Uh, they didn't really go forward too much. Yeah. And um, the program was almost in defunct and they finished one of their worst results ever at, at back then. It was called NACRA North American Caribbean yeah. uh, association. I was called, ran rugby america's north um and when i coached them in 2014 uh they won all six games and they qualified for hong kong and and uh and the pan am game so um but the highlight of that which i think has got to be one of the records they only allowed one try in the whole tournament the last play of the game when we made whole subs so that was that was uh i was i was really proud of that as a coach i'd never seen that before one try in the whole tournament Uh and you know um so like our simple structure worked and then of course the whole time i was like you know i'd met all the you know i've been with them to ireland for um world series qualifiers i've been with them to olympic qualifiers in 2015 uh we lost the u.s in the cup final i actually got a coach against sluggo rick sudget he was yeah. coaching america <laughs> i was coaching mexico we have a famous pitcher uh uh together and um which is which is pretty great yeah little little side story is doug tate who i've mentioned quite a bit uh you know he's he's one of my my coaching mentors and the guy i looked to so i said listen uh you know alec kelter is 
the best kicker on the series. And what I saw like on their, you know, watching their last stop in Amsterdam before the qualifiers was, you know, she, her, her restarts, nobody could deal with them. Mm-hmm. And they were just, you know, have people flying up the guts like Samoa and, and, and then scoring right off the kickoff. How do we deal with that? And so Doug, Doug kind of gave me some feedback around that. Cause like, if we're going to have any chance against the U S in the U S we got to deal. We got to be able to deal with that ball. So anyway, mm-hmm. right before the kickoff, Rick leads over the fence. He goes, Oh yeah. And by the way, uh, Dougie told me about uh, how you're going to steal our kickoffs and uh, <laughs> g- gave, gave me all your secrets. And I was like, Jesus, Doug, like, <laughs> come on, man. This is an Olympic qualifier. Yeah. So, so there I was, we, we got pounded and, uh, but, uh, but you know, we, we did well to get to the cup final and then obviously uh, Canada lost the U S so that was a rough day, but um, yeah. And then um, 2016, it was, you know, I was so invested in Mexico. So it was really hard to watch them. Uh, perform the way they're performing and and uh i pushed them pushed them we found out about the world cup qualifiers mm-hmm. and i'm like we have to do it so i worked with francisco uh the the rugby you know uh the rugby union president and 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 rosie and some of the senior players and and they flew me down in april and we had no money um <laughs> we our balls were 100 years old the field looked like a a parking lot right. and um but talk about passionate girls and i just said like we don't have money to go to different competitions to travel we don't have this we don't have that but what we do have is each other and yeah. this year we're going to grind and next year we're going to live the dream and and that's what we did so we organized some tournaments with the men's team where we hosted other countries coming to play us and mm-hmm. um I built a staff of volunteers and the program had never had a development team and never had a junior national team. And, and when I left, we had a development team that it was competing in tournaments and, and a junior national team that yeah. competed in their first tournament. And uh, all, all the while I was coaching the U18 Canada, Canada 7th team as well. So <laughs> You're a busy I don't man. know if there's too many coaches can say they were coaching uh, two countries at the same time, <laughs> but um, that was uh you know what what an honor uh to do both and and to be growing and learning and um but uh um you know for someone that worked as hard as as i had to represent yeah. my country getting the opportunity to lead a country is is something i've, I've never taken for granted yeah uh, that's awesome i guess that kind of leads into my next question robin is like what are you most proud of in 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 the rugby realm of your life you're gonna buckle me again. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying well, to. I swear, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know, right before I got on the call, I just I got a notification that this this kid Matt Klimchuk, he just got a scholarship to UVic. He's already got an academic and an athletic scholarship, but he just got another uh, scholarship from Saskatchewan, where he's from. And and that kid started out in my academy. He was the first one to ever sign up for the MacDill Rugby Academy. And, Mm. Um, and he'd never played rugby before and, and he's been on the U18 team for two years. He got to train with the senior men's, uh, team for two weeks before the world cup. So it's, 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 again, it's about the athletes and the programs is what I'm most proud of. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, when I took over Mexico in 2017, Mexico's ranking within the Americas from Canada all the way through the U S to Uruguay, Chile, Argentina, like the bottom of the Americas, Mexico would have been ranked, I don't know, 15 or 17 for female participation, like whatever right. it would have been. Um, when I finished 
um, when we finished in 2018, uh, World Rugby put out a put out a ranking for for Rugby Americas North and for the Americas, and Mexico was above Canada and U.S. for female participation. Wow! And we started this uh, Road to the World Cup hashtag, and we had no money, so we were just solution oriented. I'm like, whatever. I told those girls, like, whatever happens, if I say something's happening, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're so used to being disappointed and let down. Yeah. Um and. I said, nobody's going to disappoint you. And then the other piece is, is letting them know it's okay to win because Mexicans are so nice. And, and it's like, oh, well, uh, well, we had a good try, but we lost. It's okay. It's, it's New mm-hmm. Zealand or whatever. I made it, I didn't, I didn't, like, it wasn't a negative environment if they lost, but I made it okay for them to win. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, a, a mind shift. So, anyhow, we obviously played on the biggest stage, went to the World Cup. We won a bunch of other tournaments on the way there and after. Um, but, through this t-shirt campaign, which was our main money driver, we sold like 15,000 t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. So I was getting tagged on Facebook from like random grandmothers. And I don't even know where in Mexico with their, with their, you know, one-year-old granddaughter, <laughs> um, in a shirt, you know, and it looked like a dress. And I'm like, we were growing the game. So for me, it's, it's the legacy of, of that sport. And in, in North America, in Canada, the U S like if we're successful in sport, it feels good. You know, mm-hmm. your friends are proud, your families are proud, and it's good for our egos. In 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 parts of the world uh, that in developing nations and developing sports nations like Mexico, some of these girls had never left their town or city and they were flying to Hong Kong, they're playing in front of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people at a World Cup in in in, in the giant stadium in San Francisco. Um, and, um, and it's life changing, yeah. you know? So after we qualified from the world cup, I took the girls out for a pizza mm-hmm. and I was pretty strict with the diet and that's a whole other episode, but, <laughs> um, I believed in reward and because I got on a plane hours after we qualified, I went straight to the training center and then packed my bags and I was on a plane within two, three hours of the game ending mm-hmm. to fly to Dubai to coach a North American U19 boys select team with Sarevi, uh, mm-hmm. which was, a, which was epic too. Uh, yeah. I didn't get to have that time with the girls, which is probably best because they were celebrating. So, uh, when we got together at our first camp in January, I had over 40 women, 45 women, uh, at that camp. And uh, from also, we had some other, uh, Mexican American girls in there, like top, uh, Lindenwood and, and other athletes. Yeah. Um, but I, all the ones that were part of the buildup, for the qualifiers after we had a day out I, I i sent them back to the olympic training center to to eat to eat there yeah which isn't the greatest and <laughs> i took the other girls for a pizza so after we ate i treated them to a pizza and and uh, we had a nice night at this like this nice uh patio uh, in mexico city and and i said to them like around the room like how, how does it feel what was it like? What did your family think? What did your boyfriends or girlfriend like? Mm-hmm. What did everybody think? Like, life changing. So some of them got raises from their jobs. Some wow. of them now don't have. Some of them um, got scholarships to their school they're already attending. Some of them, their bosses bought a local team jerseys. Teams were wow. starting. Their little sisters were allowed to play. Their moms are now going to their club games that they weren't supporting before because they didn't know about it and they didn't know what it was. Because um, a lot of the families actually came and watched because it was in Mexico City uh, when we qualified. And uh, Vanessa uh, Gasparin, 
Rodriguez from Veracruz, Mexico. I mean, her mom was the loudest on the sideline. Her daughter at, at, at 17, 18 years old led the, led the tournament in tries. And there's a reason why we, you know, outside of Danny Rosales' epic try in the cup final, that kid, that kid got us to the cup final. Yeah. Uh, she was just a baby, but her parents have never seen her play. And, uh, and, and she went to a world cup a year later. So, um, life, life changing stuff. Yeah. So yeah, when I, when I look back, you know, uh, full circle at, you know, when you first start out mm-hmm. and, and, and some, some of those mentors that, that, that watered my grass and, and look at the damage that I was able to do. And so, um, now for me, I know wherever I go in the world or every kid I talk to mm-hmm. that, you know, they could be, they could be making this impact and they will make this impact even greater than I have. So I don't, I don't take it lightly. And yeah. that's, that's, that's the, that's the best thing, um, you know, that yeah. the sport has given me. That's beautiful. That's be like, I don't think I've even never like heard anything like that. That's beautiful. That's awesome stuff, Robin. So, uh, I got a few more questions, I guess, before I'll let you go, but, um, it's kind of all in that same realm. So like, you know, you, you've, you've already talked, like you've done so much you, and a lot of the stuff that you've talked about is amazing. And, and I'm amazed that like the stories, like don't necessarily cross over either. So like, what are your goals moving forward? Like what, and I know maybe you've mentioned it already in the podcast. It's about like helping the kids, but like what, what keeps like driving you to like get up and keep doing this stuff? Ah, uh, I, you know, there's more kids coming every day, yeah. you know, that's, that's what gets going. I mean, I, um, I started out kind of my mentoring piece. Like I've been coaching since I was 14. I started coaching soccer and baseball and basketball. Like yeah. I'm good at basketball or soccer, but I've coached all those <laughs> sports too. Um, but I started mentoring uh, a kid named Thomas K. Uh, he, he was about to quit the game. He was your typical, like, this is the reason why you wanted me on here, right? With the yeah. crossover athletes. He was a provincial soccer player. Now there's hundreds of thousands of soccer players on the West coast of BC. It's, it's the most popular sport probably in North America, as far as numbers go, yeah. participation and cost. Um, this kid was a provincial soccer player, which is super tough and a provincial baseball player and a, and a stud. Um, and I did a public speaking, I guess it would have been 2006, after my first year with Canada at my, at my home high school at the athletic banquet. And after that, um, I had uh, Thomas's mom, Shelly, who used to be my teacher, and our moms played flag football together for like 11 years. So uh, she reached out and, and asked my mom if, if, I would, if I would work with Thomas. He really loves the game, but he hasn't had the best experience yet, and he has no direction because, you know, um you know junior programs are just kind of getting going back right, then and right. and uh so next time i was up there i got on the field with this kid and 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 i asked him what he wanted and and he couldn't get it out of him couldn't about an hour later i kept hammering like i knew what he wanted but i wanted him to vote vo- yeah. vo- vocalize it sorry verbalize it and uh anyway so i want to play for canada and he started crying and like it was just like it was like ripping off the shackles the second he mm-hmm. said it then he was he I, if I was possessed, he was 10 times more possessed. <laughs> I told him all this stuff. He was, he took it to the next level. I had to tell him to tone it down. This kid had never touched any drugs or alcohol ever. He ended up graduating a year early, valedictorian, played U18 Canada within a year, um, had his own band that he played across Canada with, um, <laughs> was dominating everything, 
like academic, full academic scholarship to UVic and athletic scholarship. And then called me one day and said, Robin, I need to tell you, I have a tumor. Mm. So, um, so he was on his dream, believe, succeed. He was already succeeding and uh, he had a brain tumor and, and so he had surgery and I've never felt more helpless in my life ever, 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 ever. I had all the answers and, uh, man, I'm not a doctor or, or a magician. So Thomas, this 16 year old kid with his whole life in front of him, he's like, don't worry, Robin, I got this. And then, and they didn't get it all. And then they went in there again and they just made stuff worse. And Mm. he was basically to the point where they were taking him to special hospitals around Canada for a few years. His mom was off teaching. His dad was, uh, trying to provide for the family. And then, um, you know, we were throwing fundraisers for him. And then he got to the point where he was in palliative care. And I was living on the Vancouver at the time, working there after university. And I would take a ferry over a couple of times a week and I'd pick, um, I picked Patrick up at high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in grade 10, Patrick. Now Patrick K just played his 50 tournament in Vancouver sevens, his younger brother. And so Thomas, when he was just starting to get ill, he, you know, whenever I'd pick up Thomas at his house, when he was, when he was, we were training together, he would, he would always tell me about his younger brother, Patrick, right? And mm-hmm. Sean was the older brother. And, and he goes, this is like, he's better than, he's going to be better than me. And Patrick was like this little tiny kid back then, big eyes. And so that's how Patrick and I really dealt with it is we, we funneled it on the field. So, um, and so I pick up Patrick, we go see Thomas at the hospital and then we go work out at the gym. Um, now he can bench press me. Um, and then we go to my mom's, my mom, they're like, our, we were around when those kids were born. And so my mom would feed them pasta. And then mm. I said, I said, listen, you pick, you pick all my pictures. I got all my hundreds of pictures from my tours. And I said, yeah. you pick a stadium. Cause I, when I played in France, I took a picture of Stade, Stade France in Paris and I had that picture in my front of my book. And that would be my why, you know, that would be, yeah. that would be my fueler. And he picked Hong Kong Stadium. I had a good picture from Hong Kong, so I bought him a book. He taped it on there, and um, and every you know every time we worked on something, we did his goal setting. He had that book with him, and so that was like 2007 or eight or something. And then 2014, I'm there with Mexico, and Patrick's there with Canada. And he told me uh, when he picked that picture, like the first time I'm going to see him score for Canada is going to be in Hong Kong. So. Um, because the women play the first kind of, they play, they start their tournament before the men start mm-hmm. and there's overlap on the Friday night. So Saturday we got to watch the men their day two. And then we, because of war rugby, they're not going to put up the women's team in hotels for an extra couple of days to watch the men that we are flying home on the Sunday. So anyway, the last game of the day, Patrick comes off the bench last two minutes. I'm in the end zone with the Mexican women. And I'm sitting by myself just so I can watch, you know, yeah. my boy play. Um, <laughs> and uh, and he scores right in my corner. And so I am the the, the sprinklers are on. Like, yeah, I, I am the R- rivers. Rightfully so. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like in my corner in a million, thousands of people, and I'm just having a moment. So of course these Latinas are swarming me, right? Like yeah, so yeah. worried, you know, big-hearted and are you okay? Like everything. Okay. I'm like, no, 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 please just give me a minute. Like, this is just, let me have this minute. And, uh, you know, and then wandering around the rugby club when Patrick was playing for our home club. And, you know, I'd said to his dad, like, you know, one day we'll be watching playing the, the big stadium. And then in 2018, I was back there with Mexico again. And, and his dad, Paul was there that time. So we got to watch the whole tournament together in the stands and watch Patrick play. And he had a great tournament. So, um, you, you know, that that is what gets me going and and 
and and that and that why and, and he's again he's a he's a small town kid he's a diamond in the rough he's you know he probably could have played potentially in the mlb that's how good of a ball player wow. he was too so um he's uh you know he's full circle we're launching a mac Duel academy uh we have our one full time in saskatchewan on the prairies and we're lock, we're launching a full-time one in the school system here five days a week and patrick's going to be a part of it at the same high school thomas and patrick and i graduated from and, and thomas just for the record is is healthy and well he's in a wheelchair and and mostly functional mentally he's 100 percent there he's sharp like yeah. attack and um and obviously patrick's biggest fan so and thomas is also i called him last night for his 30th birthday and he's going to be on the coaching staff for uh for our program that's awesome um, and uh so yeah it's uh sorry <laughs> for a short answer with me no that's all right it, they're deep, deep they're good stories uh, though i love them yeah yeah, yeah deep rooted uh, why so right no and I, I think that's per- that's a beautiful story again as well and I think that's kind of sums it all up perfectly so uh, Robin I guess the one of the last couple of questions I want to ask you is just like I know you've been super busy during this whole you know last few months so like how have you used COVID to your advantage with the with your academy you you got the podcast out with Dallas now yeah just like kind of what have you been up to in the academy how have you used the the covid to the advantage and yeah just kind of what what you've been doing these last few months yeah well as you can imagine i don't sit still uh, yeah. very long and um you know when i i left when i went to the like our, our our final run for the world cup with mexico i took a leave from my marketing job at the time and when i came back I asked them to fire me and they laughed because they're good friends of mine. And uh, they told me to come back and I said, give me another month. And then I had coffee a month later and uh, I said, I'm not coming back. And I appreciate everything they've done to support my coaching career and stuff. But I'm like, uh, I wanted to coach full time. And uh, I'd already had my kind of my, my, you know, my spring and fall Academy in the prairies going. And, uh, and then I got offers to travel across the U S to guest coach and do different things. So uh, really pushed me to go out on my own. And, and so when you work for yourself, you got to keep moving. And yeah. uh, when I moved back to Vancouver Island uh, a year and a half ago, John Tate um, hired me to be his head of talent ID for the Olympic team and um, and was keeping me busy with that. And that morphed into one of his academy coaches for the, the Junior Olympic uh, program, as well as skills with the senior women. So I had like three capacities. And when COVID hit, um, all those stopped. Mm-hmm. Like the funding stopped and obviously there's no one to coach because there's no rugby happening and there's no talent ID because there's no rugby happening. Right. Um, and also there's no funding. So, um, so those stopped. So there was, there was kind of one of my, you know, revenue streams and keeping me busy. And then I, I was meant to go back to Houston and Dallas and Atlanta and, and, and then five other spots booked across Canada. Um, to to do big camps and 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 support coaches so those all shut down which again were um you know big jobs for me so um i reached out to Dallas stanford former usa international and uh everybody knows of course Mm -hmm. um and we've been in touch and i just said uh want to jump on a call we jumped on a call and I said, I've been thinking about doing a podcast and, you know, I never say, you can't say that you don't have time. You got to make the time, but exactly. hey, we had no excuse now. So we, uh, within 25 minutes, we had a business plan. We had a podcast plan. We had our roles and responsibilities and the, and, and we kicked off the rugby hive and, um, you know, I came up with the name. I wanted it simple. I wanted it 
something to identify Dallin and I, which are yeah. crazy, crazy networking and, <laughs> and, and there's, you know, the symbolism with bees and, and honeycombs and, and family and working together and, 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 uh, and madness that is the world seven series and world rugby. And, yeah. and, uh, I think it, <laughs> it kind of <laughs> encompasses us as well. And, and, you know, um, you know, kind of the reason why, you know, you, you have your podcast is to share these stories. And yeah. obviously I'm not, a, I'm not a legend, but our, our guests are. So <clears throat> I was, when we were, when we were birthing the rugby hive, I was telling Dallin about Nate Hiriyama's story mm-hmm. uh, from when he, you know, he debuted at 18 and then he almost hung him up in 2011 or 2012. And, uh, I kind of took him under my wing and, and, and given an experience that made it fun again for him. And, um, and I told him a few other stories. He goes, that's, a, that's an incredible story. And I'm like, yeah, every legend has a story. We're here to share it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our motto. So <clears throat> when you, when you listen to our hive, uh, podcast, Brian Habana, Ben Goins, you know, record leading, yeah. uh, point score in the world series of all time. Like you go back to their childhood roots and some of their problems and challenges. And then like Habana met Francois Pinier, the, the Springbok captain when he was a schoolboy, and Francois actually gave him his training Jersey from that day when he got to watch him train while at the world cup, yeah. the 2000, <laughs> uh, or sorry, the 95 world cup. And then later Havana lifts the cup and is one of the best players of all time. Like he's never barely even told that story, yeah. you know? So, uh, for all those kids around the world, um, it's, uh, it's very inspiring to see that these are, they're just general people like you and me and, and, and anything's possible. And so, um, you know, but really wanting to have a bit of a North American flavor to it, getting the, getting the stars and the information from the globe Mm -hmm. and bringing it back to North America in a really polished way. And, and, uh, you know, I couldn't ask for, uh, a more uh, lively partner and, and he's, uh, you know, being a world series commentator, uh, world rugby commentator. Um, he's a smooth talker, but, uh, but he brings, he brings it to life and it's all about engaging and, and he's a professional what he does. So he's actually made me a lot better and he's definitely more technically sound at the end of the day. I'm a rugby coach. <laughs> so <clears throat> there was that. And then really when the, when the, when the, 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 the kind of the quarantine hit and all that, I had a number of parents, a number of athletes, a number of coaches, a number of high level players reach out to me and from all over the world, like train me, help me. So I started an online group, uh, they all wanted like individual calls. And I'm like, you know what? Within a day I had 25 people. And so I got on a call and I got different national team athletes and different top coaches. And, yeah. um, by the end, by, by the end, we shut it down after seven months just cause it wasn't going away. And, 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 you know, some of these athletes were going into university and school and some other programs, things were opening up a bit. So I, uh, we had over 140 people in it. We had a WhatsApp group. It's the same way I led uh, the different regions in Mexico, mm-hmm. WhatsApp groups. Uh, we shared videos. We say, like, this week our focus is, you know, say it's a chip kick or a drop kick. Well, then I would break, I had to learn how to um, teach things. Because, like, Colton, if, I, if you're one of my athletes, I'm going to work with you. And then, say, I don't see you for a few weeks. You can send video to me. We've already right. had these conversations there's a lot, you, you know, you're going to get the full novel where if I just say like, Hey, these are the key points go. And then you send a video in, mm-hmm. it's not going to look anything like it. Cause your arms are longer than my arms. Right. And, and, and you know, whatever it is. And plus I was dealing with, you know, not the junior national team players all the way down to like rookies in, For sure. in Houston. So I, I, 
started, I bought some equipment so I could actually record the stuff on my phone and uh, was trying to do videos by myself in my dad's backyard. He lives down the way. He's got a big yard because I couldn't go to fields because of yeah, COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and it's in that time I have, a, I got a, my fiance and I got a puppy Molly. And so this dog is in half the videos, like either uh, taking the ball out of my hand or peeing in the background yeah. and, you know, just being a puppy. So, and I don't even edit that out. Yeah. Why things. not? I don't know. I, that's I don't life. know how, and, it, and it's funny. <laughs> but um, so anyhow, that that was really great. And then uh, it, it really helped me uh, learn how to break videos down. And then I'm also the sales manager for Gilbert Rugby Canada. Mm-hmm. And one of our ambassadors and good friend of mine, Kayla Molesky, that I coach with, uh, is a bronze medalist for Canada and is, and is on her way to Tokyo uh, this year still. Um, good small town Williams Lake girl. And... Um, we did some Polish videos with uh, with the the biggest website, Canada BC Rugby News editor Mark Bryant. So uh, we did some a skill series, so we could actually rather than me setting up a phone and then talking into it and yeah. trying to keep the dog settled and not dropping the like too many things going on. Right. So uh, we did some Polish videos, and then um, yeah, I, I I've been continuing to help these small town athletes come to the coast. And the real only solution is going to these private schools, but these private schools are, are, you know, between 40, 50 and $80,000, right. Um, for room and board and, and, you know, they're getting world-class opportunities, but your blue collar families, I know for certain, my family, we we can never afford that. But Mm -hmm. if you live in small town, Canada, it's, it's under snow for the whole year. So there's no rugby indoors or outdoors. And, um, so kids like Matt Klimchuk that I mentioned earlier, we got him, we got him out here for grade 12 last year. And we had another kid, Luke Sheck this year and another girl, Carissa Norston. And then a daughter of Andrew Ferentz that played in NHL for years, Ava Ferentz out here um, on the coast. So, um, and, and all uh, Matt got a big scholarship. Chris has already got a scholarship to UVic. She's and, and, and these kids are now in line to go to the Olympic programs in the next year to set them up for success. So, one of the moms said, can you look into the public school system? She's a school teacher in Sash. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot more affordable. And I said, you know what? I've never even thought about that. I've been doing this for years, helping these kids out. So my sister's a principal in town, and she connected me with the uh, the international school principal for the, the Coucher Valley School District. And yeah. it's my it's my middle school teacher, mm-hmm. uh, um, wow. <laughs> Liz, Liz Hollings Gamble. And she's one of the most influential people in my life when I was a, a nose pick in middle school bouncing around the school and she still had my student card taped to her clipboard from 25 years ago and she's retiring (laughs) next month and um she said mac she used to call me mac mac you need to start an academy here in the school and we're gonna have 30 local kids 15 kids from across canada and 15 kids from around the world probably mostly um american kids Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have 60 kids in a full-time training environment uh, with world-class coaches, world-class SNC team, athlete health first based out of Atlanta. My good buddy Trevor Harrison that works with Blake Griffin and Tom Cruise and worked with Kobe his last four years and That's also awesome. worked with our Mexican girls. So, yeah. um, you know, full circle. I've been on the road for, you know, about 20 years yeah. doing, you know, following my dreams and my passions and to come back to my hometown. And COVID's been a nightmare for the world. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, my dad always said the cream rises to the top and, and 
you know, um, you can either sit back or move forward. And, and, and my brain doesn't allow me to sit back, especially with my, my caffeine intake. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm trying to make hay, uh, yeah. well, well, uh, at the most of it. And then the last piece is I'm pursuing my coaching masters through sport Canada. So it's, I'm the only rugby coach in it. So Very nice. that's been good growth. And, and I'm pursuing a, another world rugby course and my educator course. So, I've got my hands full and a pile of other projects on the go, but you know what I have, I'm so thankful because of rugby that I have the best friends and and the best people around the world. Like I think, I think in the last 24 hours, I've talked to rugby brothers and sisters from uh, nine different countries, you know, just, just catching up from Brazil to Damien McGrath, the German coach uh, this morning, um, Andy friend, Clark Laidlaw, the New Zealand coach, like constantly, I was on the phone with Sarevi the other day yeah. and just constantly learning and growing and sharing. And, um, you know, again, just surrounding yourself by people that are greater than you. And, and, and hopefully you can kind of follow in their wake is, is, is my advice. That's awesome, Robin. I, th- I mean, what an episode. <laughs> that, that's really all I got, man. That, that was awesome one. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, Robin. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can people find you? Well, Mac Dual Rugby. M-A-C-D-O-W-E-L-L Rugby uh, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, or my email is Robin, R-O-B-I-N, at MacDuelRugby.ca, or go to my website, um, and I, you know, uh, for coaches, um, if I don't have the answers, I'll find you somebody that does, and for players, uh, if you have a dream and you need somebody to throw uh, gas on your fire, I'm your guy, or... I'll find uh, I'll find somebody in your region that can support you as well. So um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, putting up with my uh, my story. No, it's but, a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Robin. I'm I very, I appreciate very passionate it. about what I do. So yes, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Uh, last thing I, I wanted to tell you is Dallin's been on my show twice, so you need to come on one more time. So we'll, we'll get something <laughs> well, set I'm up here. On, I'm coming on two more times now. And, okay, uh, <laughs> we've got a big dog him. <laughs> All right, I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Robin McDuel. I know I certainly did. Um, I say it every week, but thank you to Robin. The guests make the show. Uh, so big shout-out to Robin for come chatting with me for a few minutes, telling some of those awesome stories. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the required reading portion of the show. Uh, this was a call I saw floating around you know, on the Internet this last week. I wanted to make sure I included it into the show. It's called South Africa Must Court Sleeping Giant of American Rugby. At a time when finances are tightly squeezed, South Africa cannot be blind to the commercial opportunity of involvement in the U.S. market, writes Andre Pierre Cronje, I think his last name is. I looked how to say that up too, so I'm sorry if I butchered your last name, Andre. But it's an interesting piece, like I said, seen floating around the internet these last few weeks, and it gives an insight as to what other parts of the rugby world think about the potential of rugby here in the United States. Um, it's kind of interesting to see like how they look at us. I feel like we don't even look at ourselves like this just yet. We kind of do. Like there's a lot of talk about, you know, p- the potential that rugby has in the United States. But um, to see it kind of coming from outside of the United States, and especially like in terms of business, you know, the this is an article about like you know South Africa rugby clubs. South Africa rugby needs money. They'd be stupid not to tap into the American market. And obviously this is like what we're trying to do here in America. America, Americans are trying to tap into the American market. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see like what other countries, you know, other parts of the rugby world are thinking about us. 
Uh, it's a good column. I'd recommend checking it out. Obviously, uh, if you do read it, you'll see some of the information is a little dated based on some of the recent news this week. Um, but I, I'm just joking around, of course. So I would recommend checking that out. As always, I'll link that column um, in the article that houses this podcast. So make sure you check that out on the dnvr.com. That does it for required reading this week. So with that, we're going to jump into the loop, close the show out the same way we do every week. Just wanted to talk a little bit about the Rugby Town Crossover Academy. It's been up and running officially for a week. Went out and watched a bit of training this week, and we'll be out there on Friday to watch a little bit more. Uh, first impression is kind of what it was when I watched the camp back in November. Is these guys are huge. Uh, I know I mentioned a little bit about it last week. These, you know, There's rumblings of some matches. I've seen a few matches potentially on the schedule, and I'm hoping that these matches will get to happen. I want people to see this. I want to see how they play. I want to see the progress that they've made from literally never picking up a rugby ball to hopefully playing some matches this spring, um, comparing themselves to to some really good teams, some good clubs I've seen on the schedule. So um, I will, of course, let everybody know about those matches as soon as I can. It's so fluid with everything going on, with COVID, with everything like that. Um, so obviously it can all can change and I don't want to put anything out there that doesn't happen. So once it's confirmed, once it's ready to go, once we, we get the, the all clear to announce it, I of course will. Um, I'm still working on some, some of these special projects. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but I should have an update by next week, sending out a few more emails tomorrow, hopefully make something happen, but I am making some headway. So make sure you stick along uh, with all that you stick along with us and, and see the cool stuff that we're doing and the best way to do that. Best way to keep up with everything we're doing here at DNVR Rugby is by following us on Twitter at DNVR underscore rugby or by following my personal account at Colton Strickler. Make sure you check all of our work out at thednvr.com. Uh, it's been a busy week of news. Obviously, I just talked a little bit about it. And you can find everything that's going on with rugby in Colorado, rugby with ties to Colorado, anything like that. Make sure you check it out right here. Obviously, as we get a little closer to MLR stuff, I will, of course, be doing my, um, my weekly roundup. It's something I've been doing for two years now, so I'll keep doing that, Right, give my thoughts on the matches. I'll break down the weekend fixtures, all that type of stuff. I'll let you know where you can watch it all. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting into all that stuff, getting back into a regular t- spring type of rhythm. And then, of course, anything that's going on with Rugby Town Crossover Academy, you can find right there as well because I'm planning on doing some cool stuff. Uh, once we get a little bit closer to that. So just a waiting game. Obviously, we're getting better with COVID here in Colorado. Numbers continue to go down every day, which is good to see. Um, we just got to keep it that way. So, And if it does, we'll have some rugby. We'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. We'll have plenty of content to make. We'll have uh, we'll have plenty of rugby to watch, and that's exciting stuff. So that's my show, everybody. Thank you for listening. hope you all had a great week. I hope you have a great weekend, and I will catch you all back here next week.